All right, and welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Uh, shout out to everyone who has voted in the NAACP Image Awards. We're happy to be nominated uh, for having the most amazing podcast ever or something like that. That may not be the category, but you'll find it. Click, vote, do all of those things. And shout out to the NAACP Image Awards. Today, keeping with uh, our uh, our theme of just having brilliant, smart people on this show, we try to have people on here who can leave us with something uh, more than what we came to the show with, we have John Quillen Hill. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. So my show is unique because we ask all of our guests the same first question, um, which is to walk us through your career, talk about your career arc. And you've done quite a bit since finishing Howard. Can you walk us through each one of your career stops since Howard and the work that you do now at Vox? Yeah. So um, after graduating from Howard, I stayed in D.C. And the first job I got after college was as a desk assistant at the NBC Washington Bureau. So, you know, entry level, um, working on the assignment desk, uh, seeing how sort of all the pieces work together. After that, I was a producer for what at the time was Time Warner Cable News, uh, but now is Spectrum with New York One. So, you know, uh, producing and doing a lot of behind the scenes work for coverage about Texas, the Texas delegation, the North Carolina delegation, the New York a congressional delegation and kind of seeing, you know, how the sausage is made in the day to day. Um, after that, I was at NPR on the elections desk in 2016, which that was a wild chaos. ride. That sounds like chaos. Uh, it was uh, nothing. I mean, as I'm sure you and your listeners know, nothing went as planned. Um, and that taught me a lot as well. Uh, after that, I was a producer on one a, uh, out of WAMU for about five years, um, worked as an associate producer, worked my way up to producer, took a break for a while to do a podcast called Through the Cracks, which is mm. about, um, the first season was about the disappearance of Relisha Rudd, who was an eight-year-old who disappeared from a homeless shelter in DC back in 2014, to this day has not been found. And so Man. it was, yeah, it was less of a who done it and more of a how done it, just looking at the systems that failed her. And I think that was my first time really taking a look. Is she still alive? We don't know. I mean, I'm talking to you. Oh, well, uh, it's so hard because I think part of me hopes that she is, yeah. but I think realistically, no. And I remember talking to a former police officer and he was saying, honestly, like with what could have happened to her, it might be better if she, she might be more at peace if she's no longer with us versus if she is. Um, oh, and wow. yeah, yeah. And it was, it was a real look at homelessness and just childhood homelessness and how, you know, it can, there are all these inflection points in people's lives and all it takes is sort of one instant for everything to change. And um, now I'm at Vox and I'm hosting the weeds. The Weeds, for people that may have never heard of Vox, what is it? And talk about your work at The Weeds. Yeah, so Vox, typically, if you want to see something explained, we are the place you go to. Lots of in-depth analysis, lots of, okay, what's going on in the world? Can you explain it to me in very simple terms? So it's a mix of, you know, getting the basic information out to people, but also doing in-depth analysis. And so The Weeds is the policy podcast from Vox. Um, and so it takes a deep dive into policies and different policies that touch people's lives. 
I, I, first of all, I think it's fascinating. And I think the work that Vox does is fascinating. And I like the fact that the platform is diversifying. Maybe that's the right word to use, not only with the people, but with the type of programming that it's doing. I want to dig into your latest project, though, Black Women And. What is it? And why did you think this project was necessary? Yeah, so Black Women And is a three-episode series we're doing um, about how policy impacts Black women in particular. And the way that I determine if a policy is effective or not is how it impacts the most marginalized people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, that's Black women. Um, An episode that we have coming up in particular uh, stuck out to me. We're doing it on healthcare and this idea of weathering, this idea that Black people, part of the reason that we have such different health outcomes than a lot of our white counterparts is because of the impact of racism and stress on the body. And I first started thinking of this myself when um, last year I had surgery to remove my fibroids and I was looking into it and I was just like, why is this happening to me? Why does this happen so much more often to black women? And it just sort of, I just sort of went down a rabbit hole about how different policies are impacting us. I mean, I, one of the things that I was kind of taken aback by or enamored by are the three topics that you chose, housing, marriage, and healthcare. First, why those three topics? Because I want to talk about each of these. And what's been the reception to this project? Yeah, the reception has been really good. Um, Although I will say sometimes people look at the statistics and are like, oh, man, this is depressing. Like, I can't believe this. And I and I understand that gut reaction. But I think I think the flip side of that is that hopefully can inspire change. And the way I think of it is that statistics are not things that are static. (laughs) It can change. They change with our circumstances. They change with our policies. So there is an opportunity to change. As far as how we determine the topics, we really wanted something we try to do at the weeds is really talk about what I call kitchen table topics. So things that are- And get in the weeds, which is why I listen to it. You make Exactly. Like getting really like getting nerdy about everyday things that impact our lives. And so when we took a step back, we were like, okay, what impacts people most, um, where you live, your partnerships and your health. So we decided that this go around, like that would be a good step to hone on, on those three topics. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So let's break this down. Housing. Um, what are black women experiencing on the housing market in your reporting? Like how much are the challenges, uh, like issues like affordability and the interest rate environment versus issues 
such as discrimination and appraisals versus the opportunities that the housing market presents to black women as developers, realtors and the like. So what are you seeing in the overall? Yeah, well, it's really interesting because going in that vein of the most marginalized, something that we really talk about a lot is evictions. So according to Princeton's eviction lab, about 7.6 million Americans are threatened with eviction, face the threat of eviction every year. Um, and a good chunk of those, a disproportional amount of those are Black women, and in particular, Black women with children. Um, and a lot of times we see, for various reasons, Black women are the people who are going to have their names on their lease for their family. They're going to be the person who's sort of, you know, making sure everyone has a place to live. And if that's put in jeopardy, it also impacts health, it impacts their children, it impacts their partners, it impacts everything. Um, the we talk about sort of this concept of the scarlet E, this idea that eviction for black women is very similar. Eviction does to black women what the prison industrial complex does to black men. And that once you come in contact with it, it can forever change your life. Like you, if you're evicted and it shows up, landlords won't want to rent to you the same way. If you've been to prison, you will struggle to get a job. Like it really is having a real impact on these families. Yeah. We just had uh, a young lady on from the current project uh, talking about uh, uh, single black moms and delving in and doing surveys on that demographic you know, what policy implications did you take away from your reporting on housing that candidates and elected officials at all levels of government, Black, white, Democrat or Republican, can do to improve the housing outcomes for Black women? It's interesting because I think I, at the end of each episode, I ask each of the experts I talk to, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, what would your, you know, policy wish list be to fix this particular issue? And Something that came up time and time again with each person was this idea of reparations. Like, this yeah. is a money issue. Is. And uh, unfortunately, the political will for it is not there. Um, one thing that could help with housing, we talked to Julia Craven about this, is just more affordable childcare. That's a major factor in all of this. Childcare is expensive. It's a major expense. And if you're trying to, you know, pay rent, pay a mortgage and also pay for childcare, it's a lot for a family to handle. I mean, it's, you think about, you think about reparations, you think about the fact that it's a money issue and then, you know, the devastating effects, effects that homelessness have on usually the primary caregiver in our community. And it just, it, it shows you why we end up where we end up many times over. I'm really interested in the marriage conversations because I'm just going to be quiet and listen on that one. What's the marriage landscape for Black women, both in your personal experience and from your reporting? Oh, man. Well, personally, I can... I'm going to sit back and just listen. <laughs> I could tell you about some conversations I have at brunch with my friends. It's uh, It's been better. It's not uh, the best it has been. Um, and actually, the marriage rate is has gone down. And the marriage rate has gone down, you know, for most uh, demographics in the country, but for Black people in particular. Um, there was a recent survey, and the age they looked at was, you know, 40. Have you been married or ever been married by the age of 40? And um, 
I think the number for black women that who had never been married was 48% and the number for black men was 51%. And so it's just, it's, it's, is an issue. And, you know, I, we talk about this in the episode because I, I start the episode asking the question, okay, why does it matter? Why is marriage such a big deal? And Diane Stewart, who's the Emory professor and also the author of black women, black love, who I speak to about it. Um, she, it's the fact that marriage is a civil right and it's something, you know, that you should be able to have easy access to, but because of history and also because of current circumstances, there are systemic reasons that black women, particularly black women who want to partner with black men don't have the same access to getting married. What does that look like in the future? What's the eyes? I mean, to my, to the black women who are listening to this as they're working out or going to work, they, I mean, after listening to you know, your, your show and, and listening to the weeds, should they have hope? I think, listen, I think if you want I mean, to be should, married, you, be you should be, I think you should be hopeful because okay. the way I think about it, okay, if 48% of black women have never been married, that means 52% have. Somebody has to be in that 2%. And girl, if you want it to be you, there is no reason that it won't be you. I also think, like I said before, numbers change, circumstances change. Like if you want to see a shift in numbers, like we can make it happen. We just gotta, you know. See what happened. And granted, we're not alone in this. So, you know, uh, that's also a major factor as well. You know, the, well, the men know, are the, a factor. Yeah, I'm about to say, say more, say more. <laughs> yeah, well, men, black men tend to get married less than black women, including, you know, uh, as they move up, whether they're poor, middle class or upper middle class. And so the reasons for barriers for poor folks often, you know, um, It'll be things like the prison industrial complex, lack of money, but that lack of wealth also impacts middle and upper middle class black people who want to get married because marriage is no longer considered a cornerstone of adulthood where it's like, okay, I got married and now I'm moving on to adulthood is considered a capstone. So, you know, you go to college, you get the career, you maybe buy the house and then you say, okay, I'm ready still, to get married. Is still necessary for the American dream? Like the, the, for black women, you know, for a long period of time, I'm presuming, and I think that that is accurate, that we were all raised in this as millennials to believe that you get a job, you go to college, or you go to college, get a job, you get married, you have kids. Is that still the same today? Or has that been kind of fractured? And um, there are new now new, new um, goalposts that have to be reached. In there are definitely new goalposts. Like I think, uh, you know, a big accomplishment for some people might be, you know, I paid off my student loans. Shit, yeah. And- Shout like, out to my wife. Shout out to Ellen. <laughs> like that is that is a big check mark. And so now, and I think that's part of the changing landscape too. It's less of a check mark and more of, oh, do I want this? Do I desire this? And that can be difficult, especially when um you consider the fact that, you know, a lot of black women out-earn black men. A lot of um black women have more degrees than their male counterparts. And so it's also taking a look at marriage and saying, okay, well, what do we expect of partnership? Do we expect sort of like this patriarchal view where the man makes more and X, Y, Z, or are we thinking of it as more of a partnership? And Diane does a great job getting into that. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, 
you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I want to hear your thoughts as an expert on the subject, because you are. I'm adorning you as an expert. <laughs> we just watched Fonnie Willis yesterday. And you have this amazing, I, I'm assuming you watched it like the rest of them. Oh, right? yeah. I, I was, I was, I, I clocked chat it. on fire, right? The group, talk the group about, chat. Uh, yes, correct. Talk to me about just as you think about your, as you think about your reporting in this particular project, Black Women and I want you to look at the way Fani was treated, how she talked about relationships. She talked about going through marriage outside of marriage this and and what you've learned from your project and overlay that on what we saw yesterday with Fannie Willis. How do you how do you analyze that or Fannie Willis? Excuse me. Yeah, as it was happening, I couldn't help but think of, you know, what was going on. Like you have like this high powered, like successful black woman dating, like who is in her dating pool? Like who is around? And like Nathan, that definitely being a factor. Yeah. <laughs> money coming up. Money is very much like her habits her up. habits of keeping cash because a man ain't no plan sounds like something a black dad <laughs> told her which we know it's she. very um it was very anti-coded as i like to say it was extremely anti-coded where it's like always make sure like if you go on a date always make sure you have money because if something goes left you need to be able to pay and get out of there like that is that's not uncommon and so it was it was very interesting let me just correct of, that's not uncommon in our community that's true and i forget that I think that's a like and I think that's part of it, too. You're hearing these conversations that are typically happen happen more internally, happen externally. And seeing the response to it can be a little like, oh, y'all don't y'all don't do it's that. It's jarring. It's jarring. First yeah. Of all, I was like, I saw her. I saw her want to take the stand. I saw how she took the stand. And, you know, we know looks. And I saw that look like, oh, yeah. It's, it's that look like you about to get a spanking when you get home. That's how she took the <laughs> And it just, she reacted the way that anybody I think with that that's that nimble in the courtroom, that brilliant would react if they were uh, being accused of something like that. And then I just felt bad that she had to like delve into who she was sleeping with, when she was sleeping with them, why she was sleeping with them and how she got to where she was going. Yeah. And it's really interesting that, I mean, you know, it's it's different circumstances, but historically, just the way that there has been sort of intervention 
in black relationships and that caused like a lot of the major systemic problems we see in the episode about eviction and also the episode about marriages because there used to be something called um the man in house rule so if a woman and the substitute father rule so if a woman had children and was in a relationship with a man and you know well felt welfare or social workers came over and they saw evidence that the man might like stay there or they had an inkling that she was staying at his place around maybe like one night a week the state would take the benefits away saying oh you're in a relationship with an able-bodied man therefore you don't need government benefits and so it really discouraged partnership especially among poor people who couldn't make ends meet without the state benefits because it's like okay the calculus just doesn't make sense and that wasn't that lasted until 1968 when the supreme court struck it down and said okay this is unconstitutional well man and you just educated me on that that's why you're on this show and that's why this (laughs) show is so good let let me let me talk to you i gotta you know you mentioned this a little bit earlier let's talk healthcare, which is the third topic you go into specifically fibroids which you brought up earlier um, but I want to dig just a little deeper. I know about fibroids. My my sister's a physician. I got a black mom and wife, sister, and daughters. But why is this such an issue with black women in particular? And from your reporting, what drives higher incidences um, from fibroids in black women? And what are we doing about it? Yeah, that's the wild part about fibroids is we don't know. We don't know what causes them. We don't know why Black women are more likely to experience them. There are lots of different, you know, hypotheses. Some people think it's chemicals. I mean, we are, right now, we're probably covered in microplastics, just as we're speaking, just because that's the world where we live in. Also, you know, I got relaxers when I was a teenager. Maybe that's a factor. I know you got them at least every Easter. Oh, every six, I was, every six weeks, I was in that chair. I, we did not play around with touch-ups growing up. My mom was like, all right, I'm going to the hair salon. You coming too? Come on, let's get in the car. Like that. And, you know, did that ritual lead to this? Who can say? Yeah. Um, And they're just. But they're what just, are we doing about it is probably the most important. And in, in, in any of the questions that you're asking when you're delving into these topics, I think. You know, my nobody knows my number one political issue just by looking at me, but my number one political issue is African-American female mortality because mm. Ellen, people listen to the show, people know Ellen um, nearly died during childbirth. She spent the first 36 hours of our kid's life in ICU. Um, and so my, my question is, um, my question is, like, what are we doing about it? Yeah, I th- well, there is research, but it's very siloed right now. And that's one of the issues. And so it's this idea of, you know, getting the research less siloed. Also, Dr. Uche Blackstock, who I talked to for the health episode, does a lot of work in health equity. And in particular, you know, educating doctors on how to treat Black patients and how to do culturally competent care. And that's a major factor. At the end, too, she gives tips for Black women navigating the healthcare system. So, you know, if you need to bring a friend to help advocate for you, do it. Bring a list of things you want to talk to the doctor about. Like having someone with you can be a major factor in things staying on track or things going left. Having someone there to advocate for you. Look, I, I got to ask this question because what did you learn from your reporting that you didn't already know about each of these topics? And this is the most important part. Like, and what do you want to do next? A follow-up series, a, a book, a TV show? Like, I feel like you can't stop with this because it's good and necessary. 
And you got to do something else with this great reporting. So what's next? Hmm. Okay. As far as what I learned, the man in house policy, that was new to me. That was yeah, something just, that I did not realize was, and it's so like, the, I think my reaction when I first read about it was, wow, you are all up in my business. That's crazy. Like just, it's, it's really wild. Also, um, I'd always been interested in epigenetics before this health episode, which is this idea that, um, trauma can change your DNA. And so if you look at the DNA of black people in the US, like it it's some will be shorter just because of the stress that we experience. Or one statistic, one fact I was told was that um when a black immigrant moves to America, their health is on par with white Americans. One to two generations in the health of that person, that family will decline to the state of black Americans who were born here and have lived here for generations. So something about this country is having a real impact on our health. Um, as far as what's next, you know, I would love to keep this series going. You know, I didn't think about a book, but I've always wanted to get to writing. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the next step. I think that is the next step. What other projects are you working on that you can talk about? And how can we find this series, Black Women and? Yeah, so we're working on some really uh, cool episodes of The Weeds this election year. Um, we had an episode not too long ago about economic fan fiction. Just like we have to admit to ourselves, election years are not always about policy. But if they were, what would we talk about? Like, what is what are the conversations we want to be happen? We want to have. And what are the policies we want to see happen and having those conversations. So we're going to uh, keep writing some fan fiction about the world we want to see. That's good. John Quinlan Hill. Thank you so much for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. This was fun. We got to do it again. Yes. Thank you so much. Ooh,